Welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. This week, we're talking about the Carlyle Group. Specifically, it's three co-founders, David Rubenstein, William Conway, and Daniel D'Anello. We're going to talk about their involvement in the defense industry, their uh, coincidence connections to the September 11th attacks, and their major bankrolling of U.S. war on terror and foreign policy. Find out more about this bloodthirsty private equity group today on Grubstakers. I think we disproportionately stop whites too much. I taught those kids lessons on product development and marketing, and they taught me what it was like growing up feeling targeted for your race. I am proud to be gay. I am proud to be a Republican. You know, I went to a tough school in Queens, and they used to beat up the little Jewish boys. You know, I love having the support of real billionaires. Uh, Hey, welcome back to Grub Stakers. Uh, Sean P. McCarthy here, as always, joined by Andy Palmer, Yogi Polywall, Steve Jeffries. And uh, we got an exciting uh, two parter for you this week. Um, Deuces. And next week. A- and we're going to talk uh, today. Deuce parter. Today, we're going to talk about the Carlyle Group. And the Carlyle Group is uh, one of, if not the largest, private equity firms in the world. And um, it's, it's very interesting in that, uh, unlike most private equity firms that are based in you know, New York City, Carlyle Group is based in Washington, D.C. And uh, the, the reason for that is they... Sean has a petty internet grudge <laughs> with a guy on Twitter who, who's really it's, annoying. And Sean, Sean found out that his dad works for the Carlisle Group. So he's like, oh, shit, we got to take this guy down, uh, which was almost <laughs> literally what he texted me. No, no, don't, don't cheapen my desire to talk about issues of war and peace and government corruption and all these things. His name is Connor Arpwell. Look him up. Sean went deep state and then didn't even consult us and said we're doing the Carlisle Group. We're not, Look, we don't even usually meet this on this This is a day. democratic institution. <laughs> Look, if, if, uh, if you're implying that this podcast is somehow about my petty Twitter beefs, uh, I'll have you no, know. No, I'm stating it outright. <laughs> yeah, we're not implying anything. Yeah. We're literally calling you out. Uh, well, here, here's what I'll, what I'll say about this, and, and I don't want to delay, uh, belabor it for those not interested in uh, Democratic Socialists of America Twitter drama. Sean, none uh, of us are interested in this. You, it, you, you brought it up on purpose. Except for me, because I'm attached is, to like, it is pretty shitty internet people. Yeah. So like, Sean was like, huh, this guy Connor Arpwell's dad works for Carlisle Group, and I had to look up who, this, who the guy was. Right. And then I just got sucked into how shitty this guy is on Twitter. Oh, great. Right. Yeah. Well, look, the only thing that bothered me uh, is that essentially everybody on Twitter, including Connor Arpwell, was saying, yes, my dad works in finance. That doesn't make me a bad person. And it's just when you say that word finance, people are like, oh, it's it's George Meany. You're going to the Carlisle Group right, and you're getting right. a loan to start your small business. It's not like, oh, yeah, my dad, like... Uh, 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 gave Muhammad Atta the training to <laughs> fly the building into the South Tower, which is a more accurate description of what the Carlisle Group does. So, I mean, I wanted to do this episode, yes, partly out of um, <clears throat> pettiness, but also I wanted to kind of hopefully uh, explain a little bit more about the Carlisle Group and what people mean when they say, quote, finance. And if you're wondering what Connor Arpel's like that would trigger such a reaction, uh, if this ever gets back to him, he's going to call Sean an ableist reactionary. <laughs> Well, he won't be wrong, but... <laughs> I don't know the Carlisle group only taught people how to fly planes and not land them. I don't know that's what they did. 
they uh, uh, they did uh, provide training for the uh, Saudi Arabian uh, National Guard um, to uh, 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 control the populace. Let's yeah. say SNG. Listen, yes. Lenin had a rich dad, and if you say if you point out that someone else has a rich dad as a um, as an argument, then you are ableist against rich dad havers. It is true. Vladimir Lenin also donated several thousand dollars to Hillary Clinton's campaign against Bernie Sanders <laughs> and uh, sells buttons for $8 a pop. $8 a pop? That's... Or is it 7 what? I don't know. It's three fifty for shipping, which was an unforeseen... Uh, that's, that's a strange amount for shipping. And then, and then five, $5 uh, for... A, $4 for a pair of buttons. Oh. Yeah. Michael Arpey is a managing director uh, at the Carlisle Group. He's been so since 2010, and um, uh, uh, he's Connor Arpwell's father. And, and another thing is, like, it's fine to have a rich dad, but maybe when the fact that you're kind of changing your name to hide the fact that you have a rich dad is a little suspicious. But I don't want to belabor the point. I just want to say uh, a managing director at the Carlisle Group has an equity stake in the Carlisle Group. This is millions and millions of dollars net worth it's how you're able to buy a seven hundred thousand dollar condo in washington dc and i've just been hey, like being able to buy a seven hundred thousand dollar condo in washington dc is recognized under the dsm-5 <laughs> <laughs> um but uh uh my point was, uh, there there was another kind of uh, pushback on you know internet Twitter drama where they were like, well, a person's father doesn't matter for socialism. A person's father, you know, it's not relevant for right, socialism. That's what well, Jesus said. But <laughs> clearly, this is like a, a liberal bastardization of socialism because on Grubstakers we practice Jushi socialism, uh, which means that Connor Arpwell must be punished for at least three generations for the crimes mm-hmm, of his father, mm-hmm. and. And the other point is just, if you're going to talk about uh, privilege or, or whatever else, you do And we have, dance in large groups. <laughs> you do have to acknowledge wealth privilege, which is like, uh, you know, obviously if, if your father uh, uh, made a lot of money um, doing 9-11, uh, then uh, you're going to have certain uh, material advantages, and it's kind of disingenuous to hide that uh, in your advocacy and, you know, maybe maybe sit down and let the workers speak. You know, people people called him a wrecker for some bullshit he pulled with um, uh, Medicare for All campaign. Mm-hmm. And so he started selling buttons that said DSA wrecker. And I hope that after this, he starts selling buttons that say, my dad did 9-11. <laughs> he should sell buttons that say uh, 9-11 phone call recipient. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, uh, I, I just wanted to kind of explore what, what the Carlisle Group actually does, and, and, and some of the things are, are pretty horrifying, especially in terms of, you know, uh, destroying um, unions uh, and uh, benefits for a lot of workers in this country, which is what all private equity has been involved in. The Carlisle Group is kind of more a, a, a military-industrial complex version of it. Um, and I just wanted to talk about that in particular, and uh, it's totally unrelated to any uh, Twitter drama or... Um, <clears throat> Uh, psychopathic uh, um, <laughs> urges that I might have to just constantly yell at people online. Yes, all uh, of this was true before Sean got those psychopathic urges. <laughs> I'm selling the buttons. <laughs> <laughs> you can buy my psychopathic urges buttons. Um, it's going to be on our Patreon. But uh, I guess let's just kind of move on to the uh, Carlisle group, unless there's anything else on um, uh, DSA Twitter drama. Whoa, Zushi uh, socialism? What is that? Jushi. Jushi. 
Chuche. Oh, I thought we were sushi. It's, it's, it's the North Korean yeah. version of socialism, where the it's like the only true version. Of socialism and the Kim family is God. Oh, yeah. just the way Marx intended. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Trump. They taught Trump during his vision. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but so the Carlisle Group itself is, as we mentioned, you know, private equity firm, Washington, D.C. based, and it's it's heavily involved in defense. And uh, there's a documentary, it's on YouTube, called The Iron Triangle. There's also a book called The Iron Triangle, and a, a journalist uh, wrote about essentially the Iron Triangle being the Pentagon, Congress, and industry. And it's kind of at the confluence of the, uh, the military-industrial complex where the Carlisle Group has hired um, George Bush Sr., James Baker, and um, Baker... They picked up... George Bush, James Baker, Richard Darman is over there, who was a former budget director in the White House. Arthur Levitt, the former SEC chairman, William Kennard, the former FCC chairman. Um, but the point is, essentially, like, um, uh, uh, Michael Lewis, uh, the, the guy who wrote um, um, to, uh, The Big Short, Michael Lewis, the guy who wrote The Big Short, called uh, it, this uh, access capitalism, that's his quote, where essentially... The Carlisle Group has been big in getting particularly former Pentagon people to come into the fold after they leave government and then both lobby and advise as to how they should invest in defense. And also, as we mentioned, you know, James Baker, George H.W. Bush, these people have been very influential in helping the Carlisle Group get involved in Saudi Arabia. He also wrote Moneyball. Yes. Um, Access Tonight is my favorite nightly program. (laughs) Um, but I guess we should just kind of start with um, the the early history of the Carlisle Group, and, and particularly we're going to focus on uh, David Rubenstein, uh, but there's also Danielle D'Anello, uh and Greg, uh, or sorry, and... Um, I don't have a clip for this one. Andy, every time Sean stumbles, play the clip of names. Every <laughs> time. <laughs> uh, what, but, who the fuck are these people, Sean? All right, so there's, there's three particular... Up. George Bush. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> There's three particular people in the Carlisle Group. It's uh, David Rubenstein, uh, William Conway, and Daniel uh, Dianalo. Dianalo, or whatever. Fucking some guinea name. I don't know. Is that the Catch Me Outside girl? (laughs) But the point is, these are the three uh, primary co-founders of the Carlisle Group, along with a guy named Steve Norris, who left in 95. And these uh, co-founders have each been valued by Forbes at about $3 billion net worth as of July 2018. Wow. And um, I, I guess we should probably just kind of talk about David Rubenstein to begin with. Now, um, it all started when they realized that on-base percentages were more valuable <laughs> than was previously assumed. Uh, uh, so David Rubenstein is born in 1949 in Baltimore, um, uh, and he uh, grows up in a modest home uh, in Baltimore uh, in the Jewish neighborhood. His uh, dad was a mail sor- sorter for the U.S. Uh, post office. His mom was a homemaker. And I did just like that Forbes gives David Rubenstein uh, a self-made score of nine, of course, for 9-11. <laughs> um, but so uh, uh, David Rubenstein, he grows up in Baltimore, and he was uh, interested... <laughs> He was interested in politics in an early age. Um, in 75, he graduates from Duke University and then the University of Chicago. Uh, he spends two years at a corporate law firm, um, but then he serves as a, um, a counsel, a lawyer for Senator Birch Bay, uh, a Democrat from Indiana at the time. And then a year later, at the age of 26, this is from. <laughs> all right, all right. 
A year later, at the age of 26, um, uh, Rubenstein joins the Carter administration. Uh, no, he joins the Carter presidential campaign as a policy aide, and then he's uh, subsequently hired as a deputy um, to uh, President Carter's domestic policy advisor. And then, according to the New Yorker, he uh, from 76 to 80, David Rubenstein helped Carter write memos, prepare for press conferences, and help draft the State of the Union address. Um, uh, people said that while he was working at the White House, he was very shy. He didn't really talk to a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> he he said anybody. <laughs> you complete psycho. He's like, oh, he doesn't get the talk though. <laughs> I've tried to get oh into every episode. By the way, if you've not noticed, <laughs> he was uh, he was notorious for when uh, people criticized his uh, foreign policy interventions, like arming the Al Qaeda in Afghanistan. He called them <laughs> ableist. <laughs> Um, but so, yeah, so he was in the Carter White House from 70s. You know what not arming Al-Qaeda is? Reaction. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so he's, uh, you know, a quiet guy. Oh, and also in the White House, this is where he meets his uh, uh, his wife, Alice uh, Rogoff, who um, we can talk about in a minute here. Um, but uh, they would later go on to, they separated in like, they married. 2017. Yeah, they married in, two th- in 1983. Right. I think they actually separated in 2005 and then officially got divorced in 2017. Yeah, it's but, interesting because online, uh, it's st- it, in some websites it says she's still his partner, even though they have now officially been divorced for uh, over a year. Mm. Uh, but during that time Tax that they were reasons. married, uh, they lived apart from what she lived like in Anchorage and he lived on the East Coast. And it's like, well, what type of marriage is that? You know, what is this, some Oleg Deripaska shit? I read that she like hosted Barack Obama yep. for a dinner. Yeah, she's friends with <laughs> Obama. The- cuck David Rubenstein. <laughs> <laughs> she's uh, friends with the Obama family. Now, uh, David, some of your opposition to the carried interest uh, <laughs> loophole closing has uh, upset me greatly. So I decided to assert my dominance over you. <laughs> uh, where is your uh, god now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, she. Uh, lives out in Anchorage, but she also flies uh, Cessna, and uh, she's crashed it uh, more oh, than once. Yeah. Uh, she crashed it recently in, like, <laughs> she avoided a house and then hit, like, a eagle nest tree oh. and then crashed in the water and then left unscathed, which, by the I, way... I will say in her defense, like, that's just kind of what you do with Cessnas. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you fly yeah. a Cessna more than, like, three times, you're going to crash it. She went to uh, David Rubenstein's uh, flight training school for the Cessna, <laughs> so she only learned how to take off and not to land. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> like, I, I might have mentioned it already, but, like, my grandpa died co-piloting a small plane, so I'm like, yeah, they crash. Everyone. <laughs> That's just what happens. Yeah. This is like a Grubstaker's official position. Yeah. <laughs> never get in the Cessna. That, that, well, I mean, that's sad. It's like, I one day want to get a pilot's license and fly Cessnas. <laughs> But so uh, you you guys will know when the uh, uh, final episode of Grubstakers <laughs> is coming, as soon as Andy gets approved for guys, his pilot's license. <laughs> uh, we threw him a party when he gets his pilot license, but it's more <laughs> of a going away party. <laughs> hey, we're not actually getting the plane with you. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll see you off there. I like the idea that she like crashed into the uh, eagle's nest tree because she was looking for the Black Eagle Trust Fund. <laughs> well, that's one thing the like article mentioned is that like it is a federal c- crime to mess with the eagle property. But mm-hmm. even in the article, they're like, oh, we think she'll get away with this. Yeah, <laughs> like, like eh, mm-hmm. she'll be fine. Wait, what's the eagle? They thing? know. They know Bush Senior. Uh, which one? The the conspiracy theory or the actual eagles? 
I I don't whatever Yogi was just talking about. Oh, she she crashed her plan into like a, a habitat for eagles or something. Oh, an eagle yeah. habitat. An eagle okay. nest tree is nest trees tree, yeah. that uh, eagles nest in, and uh, right. she crashed part of her plane into the tree, avoiding a house that, and then hit the water. Mm-hmm. And so, oh. even if she wasn't avoiding a house, if she just happened to destroy an eagle nest tree, it is like a federal crime because they are endangered and also they are a national bird. And so. Uh, <laughs> It is one of those things where you know, like you can't you can't fuck with eagles. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, uh, they have a, a special uh, exception. If you're driving a Cessna, <laughs> it's bound to happen. <laughs> they, they have a special uh, exception if you uh, place the calls that made sure uh, Bush <laughs> Senior was not at the Pentagon that day. Um, but so. Um, uh, in 81, David Rubenstein um, takes this job uh, with a um, uh, mergers and acquisitions group. Uh, mergers so, and acquisitions? Mer- <laughs> Not quite yet. <laughs> and, and I'm sorry, this is from a New Yorker profile. Uh, most of my biography for David Rubenstein comes from a New Yorker profile. I'll be up on the Tumblr. Um, so he takes this job at a mergers and acquisitions uh, a law firm um, in 81. But he starts like, uh, you know, he feels like uh, legal work bores him. He was he was apparently devastated when Reagan uh, beat his boss uh, Carter in 1980, but um, later he would go very close to the Bush family, and he he jokes in like some joint interview he did with um, uh, uh, George W. Bush and Bill Clinton that he actually almost helped. Uh, right, right. George W. Bush become president because he fucked things up in the Carter administration. Yeah, yeah. So then Reagan won and George H. W. Bush became vice president. You know, just like this kind of like <laughs> power. Power's incestuous. <laughs> <laughs> um, no nepotism here. Yes. Uh, and so the quote he says about this mergers and acquisitions law firm is, um, uh, quote, he says, I realized I was going somewhere that wasn't going to take me where I want it to be. Um, which would, of course, be Saudi Arabia to <laughs> uh, train the secret police. Um, but so he gets into leverage buyout. But the first thing he does is he meets this guy, Stephen L. Norris, who would be one of the co-founders of um, of uh, um, the Carlisle Group. And Stephen Norris uh, learn- is a lawyer at Marriott at the time. And in 1986, Stephen Norris... Uh, again, from the New Yorker article, he learns of a change to federal tax code, which was um, initiated by Senator Ted Stevens, who was, of course, Alaska's senator, who said, you know, Internet's not a big truck. It's a series of tubes or whatever. Right, right, right. And uh, he was also adorably corrupt, um, <laughs> in addition to being meme-worthy. <laughs> Uh, but so uh, um, Ted Stevens uh, uh, passed this thing. This the internet is not a big truck. It is a freezer full of two hundred thousand dollars <laughs> in cash. Um, uh, Ted Stevens got something passed in the federal tax code, which allowed Alaska businesses to um, basically uh, in the nineteen eighty four tax bill. Uh, uh, Alaska corporations could now sell their tax losses. So what uh, the way it worked, and this is from the taxcoach4u.com, um, quote, let's say you're a profitable corporation uh, and you have like a $4 million tax bill on a $10 million profit. You can find like a, a needy Alaskan corporation with $10 million in losses, losses. So you pay that corporation however much it wants, say $2 million, uh, for the right to take their tax loss on your own bottom line. Really? So then even though you didn't actually incur any uh, tax law, any loss that year, you take on their tax losses and then you can completely write off 
your um, tax bill. And so this became known, this lasted from 84 to 88, or 87, and it was called the Great Eskimo Tax Scam. And it was um, not the, the not to be confused with the uh, Great Eskimo Scandal where uh, Congress people were caught having sex with the same interns. And <laughs> I got to try them. And, uh, uh, you don't actually got to. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, hold on. Yes. Remember when Andy would take ninety years to do drops? Remember that? Hold on, keep 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 waiting. You guys remember when Palmer? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But so, (laughs) sorry, I'll have that queued up for next time. (laughs) (laughs) We we should probably just have it in the drops at this point. (laughs) But so, essentially, where uh, Stephen Norris and David Rubenstein first go into business is um, they uh, help. Yeah, so they broker the transfer of about a billion dollars in losses in a single year, earning them uh, $10 million in fees. This is in 1986. So they set up a business that matches companies with native Alaskan businesses that would in turn, you know, sell their losses to those companies so they could write off. And again, this is just kind of like ridiculous tax accounting uh, scandal that that's how they made their first $10 million was they did this in 1986 but then in 1987 this loophole was closed and so in 80s and so what happens is Stephen Norris and um, David Rubenstein are meeting at the Carlisle Hotel kind of regularly in Upper East Side New York and this is where the name Carlisle Group comes from you know from the Carlisle Hotel and as we mentioned um, they want to after this you know tax scam gets closed down they want to set up a private equity firm but they have the idea that, you know, a lot of people at the time didn't understand that they would set it up in Washington, D.C. Because as we mentioned, you know, David Rubenstein uh, did work in the Carter administration. He had uh, a lot of Washington contacts because of that. And so they had the idea to, <laughs> as we mentioned, access capitalism. Um, and they would kind of come into defense later. But the entire idea with setting up the Carlisle Group in Washington, D.C. in 1987 was they would use contacts with government to uh, uh, utilize private equity techniques to make a shitload of money. At the outset, we really didn't envision entirely where it might go. We saw it simply an opportunity to take advantage of Washington and the people here and the access that people had to transactions. What's great about these drops is that Sean gave me a list of all these uh, audio clips from the documentary, and they're all just saying what Sean just said but better (laughs) (laughs) they don't like stumble for 10 minutes before saying yeah (laughs) but yeah no that was steven norris uh who was uh, as we mentioned a co-founder of the carlisle group he left in 1995 um i believe he's a a multi multi millionaire but not actually a billionaire like the other two because he was bought out in 95 before the public ipo um but yes you you have more than four million dollars would that make you a multi multi millionaire (laughs) Because a multimillionaire, that's probably like two and up. Right, right. So multiples of two, so that would be like four would be the minimum for being a multi-multi-billionaire. This is the shit you think of when you're only like in the single digits of billions. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, yeah, as you heard Stephen Norris say in the clip, their entire idea was uh, to make money doing what is essentially legalized bribery. Right, right. Like, let's be clear about, excuse me, what the revolving door does. It's like, oh, you're selling access and you're hiring people who have access 
And, you know, because you understand where government procurement is going, you are insider trading on government procurement and government contracts and these kinds of things. They saw a market and they decided to innovate. Um, but so uh, it's uh, really with this guy, uh, Frank Carlucci, uh, who is um, Reagan's um, secretary of defense, I believe from 86 to 88, after the previous secretary of defense had to step down for the Iran-Contra scandal where, you know, they were uh, um, <laughs> selling coke on the domestic market to help fund their uh, murderous right-wing insurgency uh, it, um, in Nicaragua. Um, so they were, <laughs> yeah. They're like, let's find someone who's on the level. <laughs> Gotta find someone that's cool. You know, Frank Carlucci was setting up policies while he was in office as Secretary of Defense that he's now capitalizing on as chairman of Carlisle Group. Right. And so the argument is that essentially while Frank Carlucci was Secretary of Defense, um, I believe, like I said, 86, 88, I believe, uh, he was set he set up in a, a long term procurement system for the Pentagon where like whereby various companies would have, you know, long term deals. And the argument has been made that Carlucci essentially like knew what companies would be coming up on uh, Pentagon contracts that weren't publicly available knowledge, right. uh, including um, BDM. And so uh, 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 BDM and later United Defense. And so as we mentioned, you Wait, know, what's BDM? Uh, so it's like ropes and pulleys and shit, you know, it's a lot of uh, leather play. They supply. They had the entire contract for the U.S. Army's BDSM operations. We, they're like, we like bondage, we like domination. Uh-huh. Not big on sadism, but big on masochism. Yep. Oh yeah. So oh, it's yeah. a bunch of people who like don't want to inflict anything on anyone else but themselves. I mean, this is a multi-billion-dollar contract, yeah. and they had foreknowledge, uh, foreplay knowledge, um, but, but no sadism. But so, according to the New Yorker, a BDM was a Ford Aerospace's a defense cult consultancy, um, and so uh, it was through it was through BDM that they purchased um, United Defense, I believe, as well as uh, Vanell, which we'll get to Vanell in a second. Um, but so uh, they were able to um, big dick energy, right? So. <laughs> As we met, uh, so in in the early in the early years, Carlisle Group struggled a little bit, but with Frank Carlucci coming on board, as soon as he left the Reagan and Men in 1989, and then in 1992 he becomes a chairman. So he's like a big director of the strategy all the way up to the second uh, Iraq War. But it's really in 1991 that Carlisle Group like starts hitting the big time because, of course, of the Persian Gulf War. So as we mentioned, you know, Carlucci comes in in 89. And then at this point, because the Cold War is ending, you know, a lot of defense firms are undervalued in these kinds of things. And so Carlucci uh, advises them on which defense firms to buy up in their private equity group, including BDM. And then as soon as the 1991 Gulf War breaks out, all of these defense investments skyrocket. So the Gulf War is just amazingly good um, for the Carlisle Group for a variety of reasons. Um, and, and particularly as well, it was because after the Gulf War, they were able to really get involved in Saudi Arabia, which um, <clears throat> uh, would have consequential ev- effects on lower Manhattan <laughs> in about 10 years. What? Um, oh, but that wheel was set in motion under Carter. Yeah. Most likely. What's that Italian dude's name? Carlucci? Uh, Frank Carlucci, It's yes. crazy how that last name, like, I'm sure there's plenty of people named Carlucci that are decent people, but it just screams corruption. <laughs> oh, yeah, Carlucci uh, bought homeless people turkeys. He had a bolster good good reputation for, for the crime <laughs> he's committing, obviously, right? 
Um, but so um, Frank Carlucci uh, uh, gets them involved, you know, heavily in defense. And this is mainly what Carlisle Group um, becomes. And so uh, what happens in um, uh, 91, of course, is the Persian Gulf War. And then after that, a lot of Kuwaiti and Saudi elites were um, very grateful for the United States military intervention that, of course, threw Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait, uh, protected Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia was very worried that Saddam Hussein was going to invade them. We stopped all that. So what happens is now uh, James Baker... And who all it took was carpet bombing. Uh, Does the carpet bombing match the drapes? <laughs> You just like uh, they just they uh, they unveiled their uh, precision carpet bombing of Iraq. Uh, it was very controversial when David Rubenstein called his book. Uh, you don't get to three billion without a, a highway of death or two. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so uh, through um, James Baker the third was uh, he was in government for a long time. He was George H. W. Bush's Secretary of State. He joins the Carlisle Group when he leaves office, and uh, you know Clinton comes in, and so he, well, he probably had a lot of experience that would help them out. There's nothing fishy about this. Yes. So James Baker the um, third, uh, I don't know if we have the drop for him. Maybe, maybe not. But essentially, uh, the Stephen Norris talks about how James Baker the third's job was to set up the meetings with Saudi elites. Um, he uh, uh, is the guy who got them in the room with all these Saudi elites, including eventually the Bin Laden family. The Bin Laden family became uh, significant investors in Carlyle Group um, until uh, controversial events uh, forced them to part ways. Um, but so it is just kind of an interesting thing where they became the go-to Western private equity company involved in Saudi Arabia because they were hiring all these former uh, U.S. officials to lobby for their behalf in Saudi Arabia. And then the other part of it is it kind of gets uh, warped where, as we've mentioned, Saudi Arabia is uh, one of, if not the biggest state sponsors of terror terrorism in the world. And yet, you know, Carlyle Group has all these investments over there and they have like all these government contracts, all these uh, uh, former officials working for them. So it's, it's kind of an open question where maybe some of our kind of soft response to Saudi Arabia's funding of terrorism is related to the fact that if we were to, say, crack down on Saudi Arabia, Carlyle Group would be out a lot of money of their existing investments. Right. So they have an interest in keeping our relationship good with, again, a genocidal dictatorship terrorist state. The Bin Laden family... Oh, no, that's not it. Um, but what a tease for later. And this became a huge arena for corruption. Oh, wait, that's Saudi bribes. Okay. Oh, yes. How did I miss this one? Yeah. Um, well, so, and the other thing that the Carlisle Group starts doing in Saudi Arabia is in order to uh, bribe um, Saudi officials, they start setting up companies in Saudi Arabia, which they would uh, in turn appoint uh, some, you know, influential Saudi, either a member of the royal family or just like a son of one of the elites. They would appoint them as the chairman of this company. Mm -hmm. So what happens is, you know, Saudi Arabia. I do have this one. Because instead of just paying a bribe to somebody in the royal family, now you could set them up in business. Right. And you could say, well, this business is part of our offset commitment to you that goes with this arms sale. And so we're going to take, you know, this son of this prince and create a little company for him that's going to be funded by Boeing. But all Boeing's doing is recycling the money out of the arms deals. They get $9 billion, They kick some of it back. Uh, so Carlisle, I think, was brought in to try to put some legitimacy on this process. Right. And so, 
Yeah, so I like Sean agreeing with the thing that he learned this from. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, was that's exactly yeah. right. Yes, 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 yes that yes. was the yeah, documentary, yeah, that the Iron right. Triangle. <laughs> I like, I'd like to think that's how Sean treats his inner monologue as well. <laughs> yes, yes, these no, are thoughts I'm thinking. Yes, <laughs> uh, but so yeah, so Carlisle Group is of course selling weapons to Saudi Arabia at this point after the Gulf War because again they're heavily involved in the, all these defense industries. Um, and then they are kicking some of this back in the form of bribes, which are all illegal under the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. But, you know, it wouldn't doesn't stop you when you're this influential. Right. But it is it is interesting just like how deep the Carlisle Group Saudi Arabia connection goes and how it kind of has a negative effect on U.S. foreign policy because so many vested interests are at stake. Well, it's a good thing that um, they're doing it so visibly because that means that they're going to get caught for all these bribes. <laughs> you go are, to jail. People are going to go to jail. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, you know, obviously we're not breaking the story. Everyone knows this information already, and that's why... We're just shedding more light to a situation that's already well lit. Well, the Foreign Foreign Corruption Act, you know, it was made for a reason. FCA. And, and these guys are clearly uh, in violation. And girls. And girls. Shout out to the ladies. Uh, the other thing they do in Saudi Arabia is through BDM, they buy a company called Vanel. Yeah, daddy. <laughs> through BDM, they buy Vanel, um, and we, as we mentioned, they later sell BDM for uh, like a 650% profit uh, in the 90s. But while they're running Vanel, Vanel is doing this thing where they're uh, training Saudi Arabia's National Guard. And of course, as we mentioned, you know, Saudi Arabia is a um, repressive dictatorship that regularly beheads people for uh, protesting and these kinds of things. Um, so when you're actually like uh, providing the training for the National Guard, you are, of course, training a uh, military force that would that is used to suppress right. domestic insurgency and domestic uh, dissent. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It, I, maybe this is fucked up, but I didn't know they had a National Guard. Was this made by Vanell or did they have their own group and then Vanell trained them? You know, it might have been uh, set up in the 90s. Because like that's something that I in my, when McCarthy mentioned it, I was like, wait. I didn't know they had a National Guard, and then part of me is like, well, I don't even know what branches of uh, authority that they do have. Not to say that they wouldn't or shouldn't, but I just don't know. That's great, because National Guard seems so, like, <laughs> and it just feels very American, like, oh, yeah, the National Guard. But then, of course, other countries have their own National Guard. Yeah. Yeah, you take two days every month, and you can, <laughs> yeah. come, yes. and you can go back to, uh, you know, you not, back. Be, not being able to do anything about the beheading. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> 28 days a month, you don't know what to do. Two days, you're the one chopping heads. <laughs> That's probably where, like, you know, some of the princes, like, they'll join the National Guard so they can get out of participating in the genocide in Yemen. <laughs> Take a day off. <laughs> yeah. I just like the idea of, like, two days a week, you have to, like, go shoot at women drivers. <laughs> uh, um, no, I'm just No, kidding. they made that legal now because the, uh, the new prince is woke. Ladies, start your engines. <laughs> Um, but so, uh, uh, and also Vanell, though, Vanell, <laughs> uh, you have no idea how much power comes with a sad trombone. <laughs> <laughs> so BDM is their real foray into, uh, the, uh, kind of defense industry, uh, in the nineties in particular, they get involved with Saudi Arabia. They're helping train the, uh, Saudi national guard. But it is really um, the September 11th attacks that um, take Carlisle to the next level of profitability. Um, and there's there's some 
very suspicious things that happened with the Carlisle group on September 11th, uh, the day of, because... Most likely coincidences. Yes. <laughs> Pure uh, triple parentheses coincidences. Happenstance. You never know. Uh, but so the annual investor meeting uh, is held uh, of the Carlisle Group is held uh, on September 11, 2001 at the Washington, uh, D.C. Ritz-Carlton. On September 11th, in somewhat of a, a horrible coincidence, um, <laughs> the Carlisle Group was holding their annual Wait. investor meeting here in Washington, D.C. Um, at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. Uh, George Bersenior was at the meeting. The Carlisle Group said that he left the night before September 11th uh, and was on his way to some location in the Midwest. It's interesting, to say the least, because as we mentioned, you know, Ben Laden's estranged, allegedly, half-brother was there at this investment meeting, as well as... Um, and I talked to someone who was at the meeting, and they told me that uh, the whole crew of Carlisle, um, including Frank Carlucci, uh, and James Baker um, and David Rubenstein, along with uh, Shafiq bin Laden, uh, who was a representative of the bin Laden family uh, and their fortunes, uh, were all in the same room together watching the events of September 11th take place. Right. And so it's just one of those things that's a little strange because September 11th was extremely profitable for the Carlisle Group. So it's like, you know... Uh, this is not a Tower 7 podcast yet, <laughs> but the more research we do... What's that dude's name? Sarik Safif? What's his name? The Bin Laden brother that's in this room during this? I'm going to say Sarik. I, I know I just listened Man, to this, but... What was going through Sarik's head? He, I bet he was... I, I, I guarantee he was thinking, this is the safest room to be in right now. I'm a Building 3 truther. <laughs> what? That one wasn't hit by an airplane, but it was still destroyed. I like That's like the Hilton, I think. Oh, yeah, we talked about that. And really, towers, that happened? Well, I mean, there was just a bunch of little buildings underneath the towers that were crushed. Oh. But it was not. Ex they were not hit by planes. How did they cr collapse? All I know, man, is if you fold Thermite. a $20 bill, you can see the Twin Towers, <laughs> and then you fold it the other way, and you see it burning, you fold it the other way, it's the Pentagon, man. It's in our <laughs> money, man. The capitalism is corruption. The killing of brown people is funded by the Carlisle Group. Just to fuck with us, the Carlisle Group hired a former Treasury Secretary and had him do the 9-11 design on the, <laughs> on the U.S. currency before they carried out the attacks. Hey, 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 trust us. It's going to be super cool. I, I don't uh, get it. Are the building's on fire? Trust me. But it is like, you know, I mean, I guess with when you look at like any you sort of... September 11th into Wingdings... It's got two airplanes, two towers, and then it says Carlisle Group, and then it shows the Star of David. Coincidence? <laughs> Sean showed me this. Uh, <laughs> Sean got uh, a tattooed on his back. <laughs> it's, it's right. It's right uh, underneath the Iron Cross tattoo and uh, the Heritage Not Hate tattoo. Um, but so it is like one of those things where you look at, you know, any sort of event or conspiracy theory or whatever. People ask the question, who benefits? Well, uh, if you're looking at 9-11, who benefits is the Carlisle Group. And another thing uh, we didn't mention yet, but so Frank Carlucci, again, Reagan's defense secretary and the guy who really made the Carlisle Group. He's uh, since died, but he was, you know, a multimillionaire in his time. 
uh, Frank Carlucci was a member of the Project for a New American Century, which you might be familiar with as a neoconservative think tank, which was putting out these policy papers advocating for essentially imposing democracy through military force, you know, invading Iraq, invading Iran, setting up uh, functional democracies there to stabilize the region. And so it just happens, you know, this guy is, while he's there, he's also a chairman of the Carlyle Group, which has all these defense industry holdings, and would, of course, and did, of course, benefit tremendously from uh, massive military action. So it is, it's hard to tell where their actual genuine ideology and the profit motive begin and end for these kinds of calculations but it's just pretty horrifying to think about oh and we mentioned you know george hw bush was there george hw bush was uh employed by the carlisle group for the uh longest time um (laughs) he was their official uh female greeter (laughs) all right i don't know oh because he's groping women yes that's Uh, what you're saying yeah uh so is that a thing George H. Gropes? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's a big groper. Yeah, what? George H.W. got me, too. Yeah, yeah. I like that it's like, you know, when you're, like, on the brink of death and you're trying to, like, uh, resuscitate your reputation from Iran-Contra and you're just like, well, I should uh, squeeze the asses of every woman who takes a picture with me. Um, after oh. after uh, Barbara Bush died, I said that George H.W. Bush was probably doing a lot of grief groping to get through it. But so yes, George H. W. Bush was hired. He's a monster. (laughs) Uh, Well, no, he's a valued Carlisle Group employee, Andy. (laughs) You know, I think the I think the uh, lesson we're taking away from this is when people say Bush did nine eleven, the one that they're thinking of (laughs) didn't do it. However, (laughs) he left the meeting in the morning because he had to grope someone (laughs) in the Midwest. I've got to be there at nine o'clock to grope this woman. Um, so George H. W. Bush, uh, uh, as we mentioned, his Secretary of State James Baker III comes on after the Bush administration. He comes on to the Carlisle Group in '93. George H. W. Bush joins the Carlisle Group in 1998, and so primarily what he's doing is fundraising for them. He's going to Kuwait and Saudi Arabia to get uh, again, you know, the elites of Kuwait and Saudi Arabia to invest with the Carlisle Group to you know buy. Uh, defense contracts from their companies, these kinds of things. Um, but he's also, you know, giving speeches on behalf. Hey, you ever want to get on the ground floor of a 9-11? <laughs> he's also giving speeches on behalf of the Carlisle Group, which allegedly he was paid about 100000 a speech for. And then another interesting thing about George H.W. Bush's involvement is that he helps the Carlisle Group uh, get set up in South Korea. Again, you know. George Bush Sr. is a fundraiser. He is the kind of guy who can go into Kuwait or Saudi Arabia, where they love him, pack the house, and get these guys to open up their wallets and give money to the Carlisle Group. That's his role. But if you look in uh, over the history of this company, uh, George Bush Sr. has clearly met with business uh, leaders one-on-one, met with political leaders in South Korea and in Saudi Arabia. And that would lead one to believe that he's doing much, much more than just giving speeches for the Carlisle Group. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's the best part about this documentary is they like green screen these people to be like talking with like uh, sinister looking conferences in the background. What, really? <laughs> but then when they get to the nine eleven part, they're just talking with nine eleven in the background. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> so you can see like the the building smoking uh. and like people jumping out as they're like, well, you know, it is just kind of a funny coincidence. <laughs> it's like the idea that like 
George H.W. Bush gets a lot of money for just like when he does those speeches and packs the house, he always peppers in. It's great to be here in and then just like city name. <laughs> <laughs> he and does like, applause lines. Yeah, yeah. That's how he gets the big bucks. I like to think while 9 is happening in that room, everyone's just saying coincidence, coincidence, just like that's they're just repeating it to one another. <laughs> no real conversations happening. It's just a lot of coincidence, coincidence, good to see a coincidence. Another funny thing is when David Rubenstein, uh, for his show, he has a show on Bloomberg Television, believe it or not, but he interviews uh, uh, various billionaires and influential people, and he did a joint interview with both George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton. And at one point in the uh, interview, Bill Clinton brings up 9-11, and you can clearly see David Rubenstein <laughs> motioning to him to shut it up. <laughs> no, they're going to... No more questions. Um it's very but, minor, but the graphic on that Rubenstein show, yes. they stole from Larry King, and yeah. I'm mad about it. Mm. The original Jew interviewer. <laughs> he was like, uh, 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 ever since um, Larry King didn't get the phone call on the morning of 9-11, they've had a beef. <laughs> Um, but so, uh, 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 we, as we mentioned, you know, the Carlisle group, regardless of how, uh, truth or you are benefited enormously from nine 11. And, uh, Dan Brody is a journalist. He wrote the book, the iron triangle about the Carlisle group and actually, and also helped, uh, do the documentary, the iron triangle, which you've been listening to some, uh, clips from. So Dan Brody uh, said this in an interview. Do you play the sitar? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> This one's called the evil doing cord. <laughs> it's interesting that he he criticizes the back dealing and corruption of the Carlisle group without disclosing that his brother in law played sitar for his documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so uh, uh, Dan Brody says this, that one of the Carlisle Group's companies scored the contract to clean up the Senate building after the anthrax scare. Uh, if you remember, you know, anthrax was like the big scare issue right after 9-11. The band, right? Right. Uh, they thought there were all these anthrax, uh, ch- uh, um, you know, people getting mailed anthrax. And I'm glad they got to the bottom of that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the Carlisle Group, uh, according to Dan Brody, has investments, you know, in aerospace, defense, obviously, and biological cleanup. Uh, and they also have a lot of companies, or have several companies that do security background checks for, you know, government employees and airline employees and Flight stuff. Training, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all of these things, you know, skyrocketed after 9/11. So this was hugely financially beneficial. And so, of course, you know. Wow, they, they own all that shit, basically. If in, if there's terror in the world, the Carlyle Group gets a cut of it? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, as we mentioned, uh, they profited hugely off the Gulf War, and then they started advocating for military buildup and a much more aggressive foreign policy. Wait, let's go back so, to anthrax. What if they did it like, you know, kind of a mob scheme where they're like, all right, we get this biological cleanup crew, then I know this guy, he's got some anthrax, he'll send it to a couple Congress people. They'll need some, guess what? Who needs biological cleanup now? Right, right. I mean, like, the person that says, hey, this is anthrax, could be one of their guys. It doesn't even have to be real anthrax. That's the thing. The cleanup's going to cost money if it's real anthrax. <laughs> so we might as well fake that part, too. Oh, it's a nice capital building you got here. <laughs> be a shame if somebody put uh, powdery substance all over it. Someone uh, vomited down the hall. Instead of Ajax, we use anthrax. <laughs> um. But so uh, also during that investigation, I think they mislabeled the person who did it, and then he killed himself. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> he was or the guy who did it killed himself. It's either way, a dude's yeah. dead because of somebody wanting to make money off of anthrax. 
the he, band. He mysteriously <laughs> killed himself the day before he was supposed to testify about Tower <laughs> 7. <laughs> Um, but so uh, part of uh, this 9-11 boom is uh, a company called United Defense, which Carl... Can we, can we not call the 9-11 boom? Can we, I think that's... There, there was no explosives, so let's not, let's not muddle the, the two. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, he said United. <laughs> uh, Carlisle... Uh, that is what United did on 9-11. The Carlisle Group bought United Defense in 1997. And United Defense, one of their signature... Um, uh, missile programs that they were trying to sell to the Pentagon was something called the Crusader Missile. And so in 1998, a c- congressional panel trashed the Crusader Missile and said it was like basically useless for the type of modern U.S. warfare. It wasn't. Members of the Pentagon had come and testified on Capitol Hill and said, no, 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 no. We don't want the Crusader because it doesn't fit in with our priorities. That was Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney. Uh, who actually she talks about in the Iron Triangle, how Carlisle Group. Uh, so she was one of the Congress people who brought attention to this Crusader missile system and ultimately got it shut down. Nice. Um, rest, may she rest in peace. Yes. Uh, she was the subject of a 2002 primary challenge in which Carlisle uh, or you know one of their shadowy affiliates got a uh, another black woman to run as a republic as a a former Republican to run as a Democrat and then got a uh, mailed a bunch of Republicans in her Georgia district to vote in the Democratic open primary for her opponent. So they actually got her defeated in 2002, though she was later able to return in 2004. But it is just like an interesting thing where because she was like raising all this noise about Carlisle group. Yeah, they cut uh, her down. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but so yes, the story of the Crusader missile, uh, to put it uh, uh, quickly is that, um, again, it was this, like, useless missile that uh, it was trashed by... This is a two-parter. Draw it out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was trashed by a congressional panel in 1998, but after 9-11, uh, Bush's fiscal year um, defense budget for 2002, uh, you know, is uh, a multi-billion dollar increase, uh, and it earmarks uh, $476 million for the Crusader missile. Um, and of course- so then I started doing my research and I learned that was uh, you, the Crusader missile was manufactured by United Defense Industries and that that company was owned by the Carlisle Group and that the president's father was on the payroll of the Carlisle Group. I don't think she said uh, uh, enough in that, so I kind of <laughs> like my description more. Uh, uh, um, but so, yes. Uh, <laughs> Two joke uhs and then a real one. <laughs> um, God damn it. Now I can't stop. But so the point is they set up this thing with the Crusader missile um, to uh, get it funded after 9-11 when, you know, this massive boom in defense spending is happening and they're like, oh, how do we get ourselves cut into this? Right. So they set up the funding for the Crusader missile and then there's... Congress- how do you get a missile whose name is a historical <laughs> analogy <laughs> right, right, right. for what we're doing in yeah. the Middle uh, East? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they they really didn't really think of the optics of dropping <laughs> crusaders on the majority Muslim country of Iraq. That's the thing. Uh, like, they're so like you know, for how uh, ridiculous truthers and conspiracy theorists are, this company is so sloppy in making it seem like they're not horrible people. Oh yeah, 
I mean, I think most of it is just under the radar of general public knowledge. I think oh, they're, yeah. just, they're trying to get so much done that it's hard to keep <laughs> covers on all of it. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah the, 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 There's the, no way. So you have to let some of the the conspiracy theories fester. Right, right. <laughs> so just, it all seems ridiculous. Right. And, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like, well, what like if we, they funded Loose Change to throw people <laughs> off the trail? <laughs> <laughs> they're like, the Black Eagle Trust Fund, definitely not the Carlisle Group. <laughs> heavily profited from this event um but yeah so i mean it's and we were talking at the start you know people call the carlisle group finance and it's like most people hear that word and they think banking well it's like this is not what the carlisle group does this is uh blood money and profiteering and warmongering where the entire argument of the military industrial complex is and if i've been listening to sean at all and that's questionable they're mostly a 9-11 manufacturing company. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the Rub- whole... Rubenstein Airfields. <laughs> <laughs> the whole idea of the military-industrial complex or the whole fear that you know Eisenhower and others have had is that we might get to... Pilot a- lessons half off. <laughs> that we might get to a... P- they, they did a... They did a <laughs> The Carlisle Group did like a classic private equity takeover of the flight school where they eliminated all the unions and they cut the benefits <laughs> they only and caught, the pensions. They only taught half the class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can just picture in August of 2001, it's the graduation. Yeah. And the flight school teacher is this Midwest guy and he's like, now, where is he? Muhammad, get up here. <laughs> now, this young man is the heart and soul of this team. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so yeah, he had a real audible attitude, (laughs) (laughs) but the, the fear with the military industrial complex is that we might get to a point where these private companies who make so much money from war start actually lobbying to increase the chances of war. Might. Yeah. uh, We're going to definitely get to that. (laughs) Uh, but it's, you know, you look it's at It's a fear of a hypothetical that hasn't happened yet. You look at our current war on terror rhetoric, and it's like, well, how did David Rubenstein get to $3 billion? I mean, it's uh, directly linked into the, the current uh, uh, rhetoric and attitude we have towards war, where we are just in a constant state of war ever since 9-11. Guys, we're breaking new ground here. I don't know if you were aware that America is constantly at war and there are people who stand to profit from it. Theoretically, Andy. We're Theoretically. Not, we're not accusing anyone the, of anything. Hypothetically, Science that might happen in the United States. Uh, perhaps, if it's still called that then. <laughs> That's how far in the future this may occur. Hypothetically, do you think any of those people who stand to profit from it are members of the Washington, D.C. DSA? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and if any of these jokes don't land, that's our intention. <laughs> <laughs> when we we only th- learned how to make our jokes take off. There you go. <laughs> I was going to do it. <laughs> uh, but so, uh, just uh, to wrap up the Crusader missile story, uh, there was pushback from uh, Cynthia McKinney and others in Congress. Listen, some people can't land planes, and making fun of them for that is ableist. <laughs> 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 it's like uh, the um, um, uh, the disability caucus for Al Qaeda is like you have to make the uh, attacks inclusive of all people's <laughs> abilities. <laughs> so we're gonna cancel nine eleven because not everybody can participate. <laughs> Guys, we've got to cancel nine uh, eleven. Oh god, the obstacle course video. <laughs> 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 it's been a sore point for over a decade. <laughs> Just imagining 
some Al Qaeda lawyer filing an ADA lawsuit against the Al Obstacle Course <laughs> for not having a ramp. <laughs> we gotta melt down the monkey bars. <laughs> not all of our terrorists are able to access them. Uh, McCarthy, finish up this missile nonsense. Uh, we will end this episode then. Uh, uh, so the Crusader missile, as we mentioned, had congressional opposition, <laughs> but um, because of its lobbying, Carlisle Group was able to keep the, the program. Bin Laden's videos have a little circle with a video of someone doing <laughs> ASL. <laughs> <laughs> for the hearing of the <laughs> Oh, God. Now I'm just imagining, like, an ASL, like, interpreter being on the Daniel Pearl beheading video. <laughs> oh, my They're also at gunpoint. It's <laughs> payback for BDM. <laughs> Muhammad Atta hijacks the flight, and there's, like, an AD, uh, ASL interpreter there <laughs> so that everyone can understand what is going on. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be ableist right now. <laughs> oh, God. Well, we're going to get some angry tweets. Yeah. Uh, uh, send them to Andy Palmer. <clears throat> uh, so, yes. We'll fire Sean again. <laughs> <laughs> the Crusader missile, uh, uh, as we mentioned, there was Cynthia McKinney and other Congress, uh, Congress people were opposed to this because it had been trashed by a congressional panel in 98. It comes back after 9-11. Um, but Carlisle's lobbying is able to keep it going until they take uh, the company they had bought, United Defense, public in 2001. Uh, so they, of course, do this IPO where everybody thinks the Crusader missile is part of uh, <laughs> United Defense's um, upcoming, you know, profits, you know, their own little insider trading. Um, and then they, of course, mostly exit their stake after the IPO, as a lot of private equity firms do. They did a pump and dump with a missile company. <laughs> And as of April 2004, they sh sold all their shares in United Defense. And then in um, uh, late 2002, I believe, or 2003, the Pentagon cancels um, the Crusader missile system. And just an interesting thing, if you go to the Carlisle Group Wikipedia, you can clearly tell that somebody from uh, Carlisle Group edited that because they uh, mentioned that in the Michael Moore documentary Fahrenheit 9-11, mm -hmm. the um, uh, Carlisle Group connection uh, was pro, but they say... Even though the Crusader missile system was one of the few defense programs canceled by the Bush administration, wow. you know, trying to like imply, snakes. trying to yeah, imply right. that this is like, oh, this is just a conspiracy theory. When of course it was only canceled because of massive congressional right, opposition. Right. I've and actually got some audio from when they were, um, like, getting getting together to plan this oh, yeah. uh, United missile. It's easier than you think. Every person you're on the phone with, they want to get rich, and they want to get rich quickly. They all want something for nothing. There was this one time that I was selling pot to this Amish dude. You know those guys who got, like, the beard with, like, no yeah, mustache yeah. or some bullshit? <laughs> he says that he only wants to make furniture. What's I don't understand. Do with what the fuck are you talking about? I'm not putting words in your mouth or nothing, but you just said that everybody I just wants wanted to get to, rich. The, to play the selling oh, me this pen thing. You did just say that. What, you, you know, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, I'm like Buddhists. They don't give a shit about money. They're wrapped in sheets. Maybe you should skip to the part you're looking for, Andy. No, that would ruin it. Normal people, working class, everyday people. Everyone wants to get rich. Am I crazy? Welcome to the Wolf of Wall Street podcast. Listen, everyone loves the Wolf of Wall Street. They love listening to it. Do you guys not want to make money? I want to make some fucking money. I want to make some fucking money. I could sell anything. 
Shit, I could sell loose to a convent full of nuns to get them so horny. Yeah, there you go. That's the attitude. You can sell anything. Can sell, sell, anything. sell me this fucking pen right here. You can sell anything. Sell that. Go ahead. Sell me that pen. Can I finish eating first? I need tonight. Brad, so I'm it's done. Boom. Sell me that pen. Watch. Go on. Let me sell this fucking pen. That's my boy right there. This pen. Fucking right. sell anything. Why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you name down that napkin for me? I don't have a pen. Exactly. Supply and demand, my friend. Oh. oh, nice. We're at an hour. You want to do a wrap-up, Sean? Yeah. So, uh, uh, to wrap up the first part of this... Plus, uh, like, ten minutes of sell me this pen. <laughs> <laughs> I want the uh, rest of Wolf of Wall Street in. <laughs> Entirety of the other end. I'm just going to get the drug scene where they're going... Ugh! Uh, the sell me this uh, uh, copyright lawsuit for uh, Wolf of Wall Street clips that we <laughs> played without permission. Uh, so, uh, Carlisle Group um, essentially there was really nothing left to do but to cancel this gun program, and Donald Rumsfeld did cancel the program in a very public uh, a public ceremony, but not until the gun pro the 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 gun had been kept alive long enough that the company United Fan- Defense was able to go public. Right. They did the IPO for United Defense. I, I love the balls of doing a... I know I already said it, but I love the balls of doing a pump and dump on a missile. Arguably, who's, 9-11 was, was a pump and dump. <laughs> <laughs> but Andy, who's going to stop you? You have a missile. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, the Carlisle Group is a, a private equity firm that does you know the usual private equity stuff, but particularly with a focus on defense, though they have in recent years moved away from that because they sold a lot of their defense stakes with the uh, uh, war on terror boom. But um, uh, the the next episode, we'll talk a bit more about the other two founders, William E. Conway, uh, Daniel D'Anello. Um, we'll also talk about the Carlisle Group's IPO in 2012 and how that was just kind of like a scheme to uh, help make liquid uh, the three uh, billionaire investors' holdings of that. Uh, we might talk a bit more about David Rubenstein's charity, and we're also going to talk about a couple of... Uh, rather controversial deals the Carlisle Group has been involved with, uh, including uh, uh, Phil- uh, Manor Care, uh, HCR Manor Care, and an um, oil refinery in Philadelphia, where they use the usual uh, private equity tactics. And, we- and Sean will reveal a personal secret. <laughs> <laughs> All that and verbal fillers from Sean next week on Grubstakers. <laughs> and, and there'll be more you know, offensive 9-11 jokes for, for two hours. And with that, <laughs> I'm Yogi Polywall. I'm Andy Palmer. I'm Sean P. McCarthy. Steve Jeffries. Thanks for listening. Wait, All right. Uh, wait, we're, we're gonna, wait, wait. God damn it, Andy. Wait. I hate you so much. Wait. Sell, sell me this fucking pen right here. You can sell anything, <laughs> sell that. Right. Sell me that pen. Can I finish eating first? I need. I tend to write down thoughts. Sell me this pen.